had been away from the world of Every Nation Churches, and more importantly, this church, um, 27 years before uh, we officially began to reconnect. And, um, and that was just, you know, that whole time, uh, you know, you think, well, Pastor Mark and Debbie, they were just kind of sailing, you know, and just everything was good. It was, there were some really tough times. And I just want to say very quickly, um, uh, before I get into the message, that um, uh, there was a time that I wondered if, not only whether I could ever be in the ministry again, but whether I should. And I wondered, you know, should I have ever done that? I mean, it all seemed to have failed in my mind. And, you know, when you're that discouraged, it, it only takes just a little bit of a pushing, and you just go right off into the abyss. And I think a feather could have pushed me in at that point. Uh, Debbie didn't do that. Uh, she didn't act like Job's wife, you know, why don't you just curse God and get it over with, you know. And, uh, but she said, Mark, I've been here before, and God is going to bring us through this. God's got a call on your life. He's got a call on my life, and we're going to go through. We're going to come through this. And so, one of the reasons I'm standing here tonight is because of that lady right there. And uh, Amen. I'm also going to shout out to my youngest daughter, Abby. It's her birthday today. Happy birthday, sweetheart! Happy birthday. I wish I had time to tell some of the story, but she was born in the midst of spiritual warfare for this church. And so there's always been this connection, um, even though she was a baby and she was still pretty small when we left, uh, there's always been a real connection uh, with her and Grace Covenant Church. I hope I can tell you that story at some point in time. Um, but I've been, it's, it's our 40th anniversary. It's finally here. Yeah. And I want to say something to you brand new folks. If you're just brand new, don't feel like you're not a part of this. You're why we just you're why we are preaching and teaching and praying. And if you've been here a day, you're just as much a part of this. You know, basically the way you get in on this is you just put your faith in Jesus Christ and you join up. That's as simple as that. You know, you just you just join up. And, and from day one, you're just as much a part of this as Bishop Fuller or, or Mark Koch or anyone else. So just settle in. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord, because you're the ones that are going to get us to uh, 2062. You know what 2062 is, don't you? 80th anniversary. And no DAR Constitution Hall is going to take that crowd. We're going to need a stadium. It's possible, it's possible that the Washington football team could have a new stadium by then. I'm not saying for sure, but it's possible. And if they do, it's very possible you'll be filling it up. Amen. All right. I've been asked to share, um, what was it called? Voices? Voices of Grace. I was thinking voices of the past. I'm hearing some of those voices right now. They're telling me strange things. Uh, anyway, voices of grace. There we go, voices of grace. Uh, and so I've been asked to share from my perspective because I was here at the beginning. I was actually here before the beginning. And so we'll look at that in just a moment. Now, we're, we're going straight on topical. I normally preach in an... Um, um, 
you know, with just a passage and work through it in an expository way. And, um, um, but tonight we're going to go, go straight topical because I'm going to talk about the crucial beliefs that gave us boldness. Uh, and I've titled this, The Boldness of Crucial Beliefs. So I'm going to read uh, five passages. Uh, I'll refer to them as we go forward. Um, you'll probably see them up on the screen so I'm just going to dive in. Uh, they're from Acts 2.36, Acts 13, 1 through 3, uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 4. They go all over the map here. Uh, Romans 1.16 and Revelation 5, 11 through 12. Don't worry, we're not going to talk about the mark of the beast. I would love to be able to talk about the book of Revelation sometime because so many people have it wrong. Don't get me started. All right. Acts 2.36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, sorry, Lucius of Serene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Man, I like that language. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and blessing. Wow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would um, grant us to hear your word tonight. Grant me to share it. And Father, say what you want said, I pray. I've got notes, but I pray that you will speak what you want spoken through the Holy Spirit. Where would we be without the Holy Spirit? Father, we thank you for sending us the comforter and clothing us with power from on high. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few weeks ago, 40 years ago, I was parking a rental van in front of 648 Independence Avenue, southeast Washington, D.C. It had practically everything we owned in the back. Deb had followed along in our sedan. I don't know if they had, I don't know if they'd invented minivans yet, but we had a, a sedan. Not sure I haven't looked that one up. And uh, we were moving into our rental home. And I would like to say that I was just this man of faith and power and that I was filled with optimism and faith, but that's not the truth. The fact of the matter was, I was filled with apprehension because on an earlier trip, 
we had come to town, Debbie and myself and three others, and we were looking for where we were going to be, uh, for a home for us to live in, and where we were going to have our offices and stuff like that, and uh, our smaller meeting place. We couldn't afford to buy a church building. And so I had signed the lease on two properties, miracle stories about how we got those, but two properties, and that obligated us, me, us, me, since I'd signed it, to 3000 bucks a month. The, the largest um, mortgage I'd had till then was $325 a month. And so uh, we had, but you know, Debbie and I had support, but it was just for three months and it wasn't full support. And so by December, from right now, by December, we would have no support whatsoever. We had a team of about 10 to 12. Half of them were going to be full-time. They had raised their meager support of monthly support. Uh, your bishop, Brett Fuller, was one of those. He was going to be our campus minister to Howard University. And we were going to be supported by outreaching to, which hadn't started yet, college students. Because they got the big bucks. <laughs> no, because they were the leaders of tomorrow. Looking back on it, when people would ask me, how did you do it? I would, I, I, for a number of years, I said, I don't know. I really don't know how because I would kind of forgotten. But since I've been back, I've been back, by the way, now three years uh, with you all. Amazing, amazing. Tell that story sometime. But um, what was I saying? What did I just say? Hmm? College students yeah, were going to support us. And it seemed impossible. Looking back, it's a textbook case of how not to start a church. This was not a church plant. Uh, Capitol Hill's a church plant. You take a planting from the mother church and you, a group of people and you plant. They know what they're trying to build. They all agree on it. We were from all different parts of the country. I hadn't met Brett before he came. We hadn't met each other. And so when I look back, I'm thinking, this it was an impossibility. How did we do it? And so as I've thought about it, I feel like God, that we not only survived, but we, we won leaders and we became a church because of five crucial beliefs. Now, there are more, but I've, I've limited to five. Uh, we believed five gospel, or excuse me, crucial beliefs, and they, we believed in the gospel ideas of lordship, Calling, warfare, transformation, and glory. Are those up there? Oh, wonderful. wonderful. I hate when I turn around because I can see that I've grown through my head. Through my hair, I mean, through my hair. Grown right through it. Um, now, a few qualifiers. We believe these things. We believe these things. But we were not perfect in carrying them out. Uh, we were far from perfect. We were terribly flawed, and me more than probably any other member of the team. And I'm not saying that because I'm humble. I'm saying that because I'm not a liar. It's the truth. We did nothing perfectly. It was all by God's grace and mercy. Now, that should encourage you because you can get to 2062, and you can help birth these churches, and you can help win this city because God uses people like that. He uses people like me who are flawed. Would you like to dive into these crucial beliefs? Yeah, let's do it. Crucial belief number one. Uh, 
We believed in the gospel idea of lordship. Would you say that word with me? Lordship. Um, lordship is the New Testament declaration, proclamation, teaching of Christ's power and authority over all, over everything. You know, sometimes we hear this language and say, oh yeah, Jesus is Lord, that's a nice title. Well, he's got, along with that title, he has power. It's all in one. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, he stood up, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he says to Israel, he has been preaching to them, he has indicted them, in fact, he indicts them in this, in this verse, with the murder of Jesus Christ. But he says this, let all the house of Israel know, therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That is stunning. If the Holy Spirit hadn't been present, they would have risen up and killed him. But instead, their hearts were cut to the quick because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. But listen to this. We believed in lordship back in 1982. What does that mean? We believed, we knew that Jesus was Lord over everything. We weren't saying, excuse me to Washington, D.C., you're an important city, you've got power, you've got titles, you've got this, you have to excuse us, we'd really like to preach the gospel. We came there thinking and believing that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord over all things, had sent us. And that they, they, if they only knew, would bow their knee to him because he was their Lord, they just didn't know it. And so it's critical that we know that God has made him Lord and that we know it for certain. Notice it says God made him. It was God Almighty's decision. There was, uh, there was an election. There was one candidate and there was one vote. Nobody else's opinion was, was uh, asked. God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You know, people accuse us of Christians of being bigoted because, you know, we say that Jesus Christ is the only way. Um, well, it's not our idea, you know, it's not, we didn't come up with this. This is what our apostles taught us. This is what our Lord taught us. He is Lord over everything. And that does two things. One, it means that my life is not my own because he's my Lord. We have a lot of people today that, that treat political parties like they're their Lord, like they're their liege Lord. I pledge allegiance to you. Uh, you know. So I can't, I can't understand that. You know, I'm only, I only have one Lord. Amen. I thank God for public servants. I thank God for all these other people. I mean, and I give them their honor and their, their due. But there's only one Lord. There's only one I'm going to bow my knee to and say, I give you my full unfiltered, unqualified allegiance. And we did that. Uh, Lord means kurios, kurios, master, owner, possessor, power, He's made him also Christ, Christos, the anointed. It's interesting that at one point the crowds came to Jesus and they wanted to make him king by force, it says. I mean, they, he was giving them bread, he was healing them, and they thought, couldn't find a better king, right? And they were going to make him king by force. And he went and he removed himself from them because he could not be their Lord until he was their Christos, their Savior. He must be our Savior first. And the fact that he is our Savior should secure our undying affection and love. 
What kind of Lord lays his life down for his subjects? An amazing, amazing thing. So for us in 1982, to recognize Jesus' lordship meant our lives were not our own. And it also meant we could be bold as lions. I mean, we went over to George Washington University and got up on benches and started, well, there were concrete benches, but benches and started preaching. We got heckled by even the girls from New York, you know, gals from down in New York. Oh, he's going to tell us Jesus. They just laughed and they just heckled us. But we were preaching because we knew he was Lord of all. Washington, D.C. is a city that understands power. When I used to go to different meetings back in those days, I'd go to different meetings. I got to meet the president a couple times. got to meet senators, congressmen, all sorts of stuff. Whooped he do. But anyway, um, <laughs> Jesus Christ, we get to meet him. Uh, you know, no disrespect to those folks, but compared, seriously. So uh, anyway, when people would come into a meeting and they were coming from the president or they were coming from Congress or some other important person, they felt empowered. They felt bold. They felt like they were the most important person in the room. Well, that's the way we felt all the time because we'd been sent by the Lord Jesus Christ. This was his city and we were coming to claim it. Amen? There's a new sheriff in town. His name is Jesus Christ. And we're his deputies. Amen. That's why, you know, when I, I went to a, a conference, I've told you the story before, I went to a conference in D.C. in April of 1982. And that was when I was first approached about moving to Washington, D.C. Debbie and I were settled in, in Columbia, South Carolina. We decided we were going to stay there the rest of our lives. I called her that night and I said, I've been approached about moving to Washington, D.C. She was already like four months pregnant or three months pregnant at, at that point in time. We had two little ones. And so, long story short, she didn't blow up at me. She didn't flare up. She didn't say, look, didn't you tell them I'm pregnant? Didn't you tell them that we just moved here two and a half years ago? And one year ago, less than one year ago, we moved again in the city so we could be closer to campus. Didn't you tell them this? She didn't say any of that. Why? Lordship. She just said, well, let's pray. Why? Let's find out what the Lord wants. Amen. So, um, that was just kind of normal. All right. Crucial belief. So crucial belief one, lordship, crucial belief two. We believed in the gospel idea of calling. In the New Testament, calling is the Holy Spirit's power and commitment to clearly communicate God's will to our individual lives. You don't have to be in the dark about God's will. He will show you some of us worry about, oh, can I really hear? Don't worry. If it's big, if it's important, he will speak to you. Just be willing to do whatever he wants you to do. If you've already got it figured out and you're just trying to get him to sign off, you'll probably have troubles. Now, we saw this. I read this earlier. Remember in the church at Antioch, there was a diversity with unity. It sounds a little bit like Grace Covenant, doesn't it? They had different ethnic, uh, ethnicities. They were from different backgrounds. They had different nations that they were from. And they were worshiping the Lord together with fasting. And in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. Now, that was probably a prophetic word. Doesn't say that God spoke audibly to them. I'm assuming it was a prophetic word. That is an assumption, but I'm assuming that. Uh, and they were seeking. So notice... They were tuned to the Spirit, and they were expecting to hear God's voice and wisdom on what to do. Now, some people get weird with this. 
And they're talking about all sorts of fantastical things that are not in the New Testament that they say God is telling them. Don't listen to that. Our Savior said, go into all the world and make disciples. He hasn't changed his mind. So when they come up with all this stuff, let them go off and have their conferences. In fact, get back as far as you can. Give them space. Amen. Uh, they believed in the, the Spirit's power and presence. And so as they were waiting, God said, set apart Paul and Barnabas. And so they laid their hands on them and sent them out. It was the first uh, mission sending in the New Testament church. I was part of a group once, and they were so challenged in trying to get things done. And I'm serious. They were, had a, a meeting of all the churches and pastors were, not the churches, but the pastors were meeting, representing the churches. And they were trying to have a corporate pic picnic with everybody together, kind of like we did last Saturday. And they could not do it. I'm serious. They couldn't get a picnic together. And they just gave up on the idea. And one of the leaders said in my hearing, why can't we get anything done? And I said, well, how about let's look at Acts 13. And I showed him this passage. And I shared it with, you know, not a little conviction. You know, I mean, I, mean, I shared it boldly. And they just looked at me like a pig looking at a wristwatch. <laughs> and they never, got, they never got a picnic done. Never did. Because they didn't do this. You expect the Holy Hey, listen, if the Lord said go, don't you think he's going to tell us about where and when and what sometime by the Holy Spirit? And so we believed. And so we, we were bold because we felt called. I never considered quitting. That blows my mind. Um, but we didn't. We probably felt like it on a number of occasions. But usually I would just get angry at the devil. I'd say, you know, we're going to make him pay for this one. That was my attitude. You know, you get in our face, we're going to get in your face. Amen. We've done it. We've gotten in his face here, haven't we? Amen. He doesn't like this. So when I got back home, uh, Debbie, we had set up a, a time to go, and we rented a little hotel room, and we were going to pray for a day or two about whether we should move to Washington, D.C. We were in the hotel room. We started our praying. We're walking around the room. And I mean, I hardly got the prayer out of my mouth. And I knew that for us, the cloud had lifted from Columbia, South Carolina to Washington, D.C. I didn't know why, but I just knew it was God's will. And she felt the same way. And I mean, we could have packed up and gone home right then, but we had a babysitter. And so <laughs> we're praying. Oh, we're seeking the Lord here. Let's go walk on the beach. Crucial belief number three. <laughs> We believed in the gospel idea of warfare. Would you say that? Warfare. Does that, you, does that make you feel good? I don't know if this is me, but warfare. I, I was a young guy. When I was young, I was very thin. Some of my friends called me pretzel man because they felt I was so thin. I didn't appreciate that. Uh, and, but I was thin. I had to admit it. And, but I was... I was a fighter, and I got in a lot of fights. Not, I was, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> I don't know why. People just wanted to try me out. And I never lost, morally speaking. I, had, I always had moral victory. <laughs> always moral victory. I got that one punch, and that's the only one I remember. 
Debbie married me. She grew up in a genteel, her father was so genteel, and you know, we're driving along, we're spiritual, we're talking, and some guy does something on the road, and man, I am ready to get out and fight. She goes, Mark, what are you doing? I said, sweetheart, I'm from Fairdale. You're going to have to help me here. Uh, spiritual warfare, I just, you know, warfare. What is spiritual warfare? The New Testament idea that behind everything that we see, that those things that are seen are good and evil forces at war. And as Christians, we're called to get into the fight. Um, for though we walk in the flesh, 2 Corinthians 10, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but... Have divine power. Would you say that? Have divine power. You think, well, it's just me and I'm praying. Yeah, but you know, it doesn't take a very big person to pull uh, the chain on a howitzer and shoot an, an amazing uh, miss or, or a shell two miles downrange. It's not how big the warrior is. It's how big the, the, the firepower is. And it says here, is, these, we're divinely powerful. We have divinely powerful weapons. Man, when you get that, you feel like the devil and all the, all the demons are on your head? Well, that's okay. Just get the big gun out. Amen? <laughs> Say, you know, uh, my church once, we, well, your, it was your church too. But anyway, the church way back when, we had a birthday party. They had a birthday party for me. And uh, they did a skit. And they had Mark, Pastor Mark, when he was still singing in bars in Nashville, which is another story. Because I did do that. And, uh, but some guy on the front row, and they had a guy sitting there, and he jumped up and he says, boy, you're giving me a screaming headache. And he runs up to Mark, who's being played by another fellow in the church with a guitar. And he puts the guitar down, and he rears back to hit the guy. But there's this big angel behind him, and this big angel hits him instead. And he goes flying back. Of course, Mark really feels like he's tough, but it was the angel that did it. The big angel. They had a guy in a white thing that did. JC, were you there at that? Were you at that thing? Uh, you missed that one. Boy, that, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have even brought it up. Now you're going to really feel bad. Um, guys, when you stand up, you don't look like much. I don't look like much. But right behind us, when Jesus Christ stands up, Jesus just walked into a village and, and the, the demoniacs would come running and fall down and say, have you come to torment us before the time? He says, be quiet. There's no contest, guys. It's not like there's this big war between Jesus and demons. Demons don't have a chance. So it's just us believing that his name is powerful. So what we would do is we would, when we felt the world, when we felt the sky was falling on our head, we would have a prayer meeting. Then this happened awful. I mean, awful. This happened often. I need an interpreter up here, you know. I'm speaking in tongues. Hallelujah. It's that prayer Tiffany prayed for me, the anointing. I could... I might start doing the holy chicken here in a minute, guys. <laughs> Deb, you haven't seen the holy chicken in a long time, have you? She's not laughing. 
She is smiling, though. <laughs> but, what, you know, in warfare, to, to be successful in warfare, you have to know what the enemy is up to. That's called intelligence or intel. And so you have to figure that out. And so you, you, you do all sorts of reconnaissance. And right now, if you keep up with the war in Ukraine, they're using drones that will fly over and see what the enemy's doing. Well, what we did was we believed the Holy Spirit would tell us. Remember the Old Testament prophet that uh, the, the, uh, the king said, who is the spy in our midst? Who is telling everything that we're doing? They said, no, it's the prophet in Israel. He knows what the king is doing in his bedroom. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was telling him. Well, we would come together and we would pray and we'd start interceding and we're praising and we're interceding. And by the way, that is the way that you get into the Spirit. That's the way you get in onto that side of the brain that is receptive to the spiritual. If you go in there and your brain is still in computer mode, your brain is still in, you know, grocery, buy a grocery list mode and all this. And some of you, it's hard for you to get out of that. It's like, well, I'm not sure that... Uh, that this spiritual prayer stuff is real. Uh, well, it is. Amen? You know, dive on in. Get out of that brain. And so we would pray. And a lot of people didn't want to. They would just kind of be standing there like this, you know, and just want to pray petition prayers. I love petition prayers. Thank God for petition prayers. But I wouldn't let them do it. I'd say, guys, all 10 or 12 of us, hey, everybody up, everybody walking around, start making noise. I don't care if you pray in tongues. I don't care if you pray in English. I don't care if you pray in Spanish. But make noise. Worship Jesus Christ. Because you're scared to death because the sky is on your head. You know, you don't feel like praying. You don't feel like fighting. You don't, you, what you feel like is running. You know, like that one movie where they say, run away, run away. That's what you feel like. But you do the opposite because you've been called to take the city. Amen. And we're not going anywhere. We're not leaving. Amen. So we came together and we start praising. Father, we worship you. We magnify your name. And all of a sudden, as you're doing this, courage, faith begins to rise up in here. Hallelujah. And you're just praising. Lord, I worship you. I magnify you. I give you glory. I give you honor. You know, I just feel, I feel like we're up against a spirit of confusion. Do you feel that? What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Intelligence. We know, start knowing what the enemy's doing. And so we would say in Jesus' name, you foul spirit, you spirit of confusion that's been binding our minds, that have been beating on us. I can rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. You be gone. It's over. You're not going to do this anymore. We've got you. We found you out. Be gone in the name of Jesus. First day we were, we were trying to find a place to uh, move. Well, not the first day, it was the third day. And we were running out of time and we hadn't found where we were going to be. And we, we drove down to Capitol Hill. We'd been all over the place. We'd been looking at embassies. We'd looked at everything. We didn't have any money, but we were doing it by faith. And so we pulled in the parking lot of this little uh, real estate agent named Helen Carey. And, uh, and I told Kiki, who was part of our team, I said, Kiki, go tell Miss Carey that we'll be in in a few minutes that we're going to pray. Because I'd had it. I realized we're just getting, we're getting, we're hitting a wall here. This is a spiritual battle. You see, the seen and the unseen. We can't break through. We can't find the place. So she went in. I don't think she told her that we were going to pray. I think she told her something like, we're going to be in the car for just a few minutes. Because we started praying. And as I started praying, intelligence, remember, spiritual intelligence, I felt, and I felt it strong, and I could see it a very strong demonic prince mocking us, basically saying, are you kidding me? I've seen a lot of people come to this city and try this. 
you're going to be just like them. You're going to run with your tail tucked between your legs. And that really torqued me off. So I started banging on the dash. I'm yelling. The windows are starting to steam. The car's rocking. They're praying in the back. Debbie's interceding in tongues. We're just going at it. And I hear a little peck on the window. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> little Helen Carey's out there. Real sweet little lady. She goes, uh, <clears throat> are you coming in? <laughs> I roll the window down. I said, uh, Helen, uh, we're praying. We're interceding. We'll be in in just a few minutes. And she thought... Okay, and she walked back in, and she probably thought, I've never seen this before. You know, these people are mad, obviously, but we finished praying. We found peace. We felt the battle was over. We went in. She took us to our home. We left there. We drove over to 139 C Street, and that door opened up, and within an hour of that, two hours of that prayer, we had both properties that I signed the lease on for $3,000 a month. That's spiritual warfare. I don't have time to take you uh, to this. So crucial belief number four, we're just skipping over some things. We believed in transformation. Uh, the New Testament teaches that the gospel alone has the power to transform and change human beings. There's only one institution on earth that can do that, guys, and the government is not it. There's no corporation that can do it. If there's going to be goodness in America again, it's going to come out of rooms like this, the church. Um, Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That statement shows you two things. One, what Jesus is up to. And secondly, what he's going to do with it. He's building a weapon. It's called the church. And he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's the power and that's what it's going to do. So this passage gave us one strategy, not to try uh, techniques of persuasion, argument, charm, as, as charming as we were. Uh, you can't argue people into the kingdom. We knew that transformation was not a, a matter of technique. Instead, it's a matter of raw power. Just think about the persuasion techniques on the Apostle Paul. He's riding along on an animal. We're not sure if it was a horse or a donkey because it doesn't say. But he's riding along and he's going to persecute Christians. And all of a sudden, he's knocked out of his, he's knocked off his animal. The rest of the guys can't, they, they hear uh, uh, the sound, but they don't see. He sees and then he's blinded. Now, where is the explanation in all of this? Just bam. That's the way people are saved, guys. Yeah, you're preaching the gospel, but it's not your power of persuasion. It's the Holy Spirit going into the human heart and turning the lights on for the first time in their lives and making them a new creation in Christ. And so we believed that anyone could be transformed. If they were walking and talking, we would preach to them. We didn't care if you were coming from this ethnicity. We didn't say, care if you were male or female. We didn't care what your particular sin was or what you felt you were trapped in. We had one answer, and that is Jesus Christ can transform your life. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. We weren't looking for, you know, easy cases. I was in England once, and, and uh, I walked in, and there was a room full of addicts. Because uh, this was a ministry to addicts, and, and a number of them have been saved, but there are a number of them, including a guy on the end of the row there who was cold turkey coming off heroin. 
And my spirit was provoked. I thought, man, I want to pray for these guys. And sure enough, the leader who's going to be visiting us uh, this next weekend in our home, he, he, uh, he says, I want all of you from America, you pastors, to come forward. We're going to form lines, and all of you can come for prayer. And that fellow who was standing down, standing down there came up, and he's standing before me, and he's kind of standing there like this. He's sweating. He's cold turkey. And I said, come here. And uh, he got up close to me, and I said, listen. And I said, God is uh, forgiving you of your sins. You've done horrible things. And I'm knowing this by the Spirit, you know, intelligence uh, from God. I said, you've done some terrible things, but God is forgiving you. And he's da-da-da-da. And I'm t- preaching to him like this. And he's standing there, and he looks up, and he goes, well, sir. He says, I'm not really a Christian. So I grabbed him by his shirt. <laughs> I, I said, look, uh, look at me. It's like Peter, you know, look at me. All that. Anyway, I pulled him up. I said, look at me. He looks up. Horrible. I mean, he's coming off heroin. He looks up and I said, God is making you one right now. Do you understand? And he goes, yeah. (laughs) Another guy came forward and and he he wanted prayer for something. And I said, "Uh, do you believe? He says, no. He says, I don't. I said, would you like to believe? He said, well, I think so. I said, lift your hands. He lifted his hands. This is the way charismatic evolution works. At first, you just have fins. You've seen this, right? Fins. And then you can, you know, you can praise God. Hallelujah. And then slowly it works up, you know. <laughs> so anyway. We've gone off script here, guys. Uh, <laughs> So anyway, and I told a, a young man who had come with us, I said, come here, because I wanted him to see somebody come to know Jesus Christ. And I said, uh, lift your hands. And so we had, we're right here. I said, I want, uh, I want you to pray with me out loud. You know, uh, Heavenly Father, you know, Heavenly Father, I don't believe, but I want to believe. I want to believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I want to believe that he was buried, and three days later he was raised from the dead, and I want to believe that he uh, has been made Lord over all things. And so, in Jesus' name, I thank you. I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. And I started praying, and his hands started going like this. And he's, at one point, he said, what's happening? And at the end of it, he was like this. I checked on him like two years later. He's, he is serving the Lord with all of his heart. Paul said, my speech among you was not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Um, Early on, we're preaching on a campus. It's in, it's, you know, it's a little crowd. It usually was little crowds. And I gave an altar call and two or three people came up and one young man came up and I whispered, uh, what can I pray for you for? And he whispered back to me that he was ensnared in a sin. He said, I'm, and I don't want to be. And I grabbed him. You see a pattern developing here, don't you? I said, look at me. I said, not anymore. Not anymore. It's over today. It's over today. And I started praying for him and tears started coming down because the Holy Spirit was talking about his relationship with his dad and this and that had happened when he was little. This is the spirit, guys. This is the Holy Spirit. This is why we need the spirit and we need the gospel. Trust the gospel. You say, I don't know what to say. You do. I just said it a few minutes ago. I believe in my heart. God raised him from the dead. I confess that he is my Lord. 
bam. The weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful. That young man, for more than 30-something years now, has been serving the Lord and changing nations. Lastly, we believed in glory. I thought about calling this jealousy. Uh, when on the exile, when exiled on the Isle of Patmos, the Apostle John sees this curtain pulled back, and he sees this scene of heaven. Um, now, you have to understand the book of Revelation is a revelation. It's not necessarily exactly the way heaven is, you know, all the time, but it's teaching us something. It's always teaching us something. And so in this particular case, it's teaching us about the Lamb. And uh, there's the, he sees these elders. He sees the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads. Um, and they are singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, wisdom, glory, honor, and blessing. So in this passage, we know that Jesus is the Lamb because in the Old Testament, lambs were... Uh, other animals were used, but lambs probably more than any other animal represented the meekness and the, the obedience that Jesus exhibited when he went to the cross. Now, the animals in the Old Testament never, ever uh, cured anybody of sin, never, ever atoned for anyone's sin. None, not one, no bull, no goat, no lamb ever atoned for anybody's sin. What atoned was what they represented which is Jesus Christ and his blood. Old Testament people were saved the same way you and I are. They just didn't know his name was Jesus. It's not their blood. It's his blood. Their, that blood, just like when we take communion, it points back to the blood. Well, their sacrifices pointed to the blood. It's very important to understand that. So, um, so God, Jesus is God's true lamb. John had said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So they sing, worthy is the lamb. Why? Because he was slain. Now, um, he's worthy to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. In other words, he's worthy to receive everything. In Psalm 2, that's precisely what the father promises the son. He says, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your possession. Ask of me and I'll give you the nations. Do you see what God wants with the Great Commission. It's not changed. He told Adam, cultivate the earth. He blew it. Told Israel, fill the earth. They blew it. He tells the church, fill the earth. We're not going to blow it. Amen. 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 We're not going to blow it, guys. This, we're going to keep going. Um, back in 1982, uh, we believed that the Lamb should receive the glory due his suffering. This is a powerful truth, guys. That if the Son of God is worthy of the nations, then he was certainly worthy of the city of Washington, D.C. Proverbs 27, 4 reads this. Wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Think about that. Now, this is a negative passage. It's, 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 it's rebuking wrongful jealousy. <clears throat> Wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Now listen, there is a good jealousy because we also read in the Old Testament at one point where it says that God is a jealous God. You parents here, are you jealous for your children? Somebody try to grab them at the mall, are you jealous for them? Will your wrath spring up? Are you jealous that they make good grades? Are you jealous for their health? Are you jealous that good things come to them? Well, we had a holy jealousy and I think Christians have a, need a holy jealousy this crucial belief that the lamb ought to receive the glory 
do his suffering. We coveted Washington, D.C. as a jewel to put in his crown. We covet the nation. We covet, you know, Nigeria. We covet uh, Indonesia. We covet whatever nation. You may be called to one of these nations. You may be called to one of the wards in Washington, D.C. In 1991, I decided to leave uh, Grace Covenant Church in the care of a young pastor by the name of Brett Fuller. Um, We were gone, as I said earlier, for 27 years. Most of that time, it seemed to me to be an absolute impossibility that we would ever be reconnected. Ever. There were, there were sometimes up to 10, 15 years that Brett and I never had any communication whatsoever. A couple, couple of those long stretches. But, now listen, I wished for that. You know, I had a hole in my heart. It was a grace covenant hole. The whole time. And I tried to get rid of it. I had a Brett Fuller hole in my heart. And I was asking God, what is this? And I had a win the city of Washington, D.C. hole in my heart. Now, you folks have been doing a great job of filling those holes the last three years. And I'm loving it. But most of the time it seemed impossible, except for this, guys. God's faithfulness. His grip on us is so much stronger than our grip on him. When he calls, he doesn't forget. He never, he never negated that call. Um, In fact, when I, I decided it was time for me to leave the church I was pastoring in Stafford, I told my elders in January... You know, some, that's a dangerous thing to do because sometimes elders will kick you to the street. It's like, oh, well, if you're leaving, then go. And so it took a bit of courage there, and Deb had to kind of force me into it. Uh, she had a lunch with uh, two friends of ours who are missionaries who will tell me what they think. And all of a sudden I realized I'm in a setup here. <laughs> I said, okay, I got it. I got the message. I'll go talk to them. So I talked to them, and a few months later, I thought, well, I better tell Brett because I was a part of every nation by then. And I thought, well, I better tell him. And I told him our plan is we're going to sell everything when we leave the church. We're going to live on the cheap and maybe we'll move to Charlottesville and help with the new church that Grace Covenant was planting. That's what I said. And that's what I really believed might happen. And he shook his head. He said, no, you remember you're called to Washington, D.C., So I got a faithful God, I got a faithful brother in the Lord, and that's why I'm standing here right now. And her as well. That's my story, that's Debbie's story, that's our story. So the only question that remains is, what will be your story? Will you help write the next 40 years so you can tell the story at the 80th anniversary? Will you believe that Jesus is Lord, that God has made him Lord, that he's your Lord? Will you listen for his calling on your life and follow it no matter what and where it leads? Don't say we just moved. Don't say we... Lord... Speak for your servant is listening. Will you 
listen for his calling and follow it? And having stepped into God's will, will you fight for it and not give up on it? And one last question. Is there anyone here jealous that the Lamb would receive the glory through his suffering? If there is, then we're on our way to winning the city of Washington, D.C. Let's pray. I want to give you a chance to respond. How many here just would say, I am willing to hear my Lord? Would you just raise your hand and put it down? Man, hands are going up all over the room. I'm willing to go with him wherever he calls me. I'm willing to engage in spiritual warfare. I'm willing to pray and intercede and fast. I will be jealous that the Lamb receive the glory through his suffering. Amen. Father, you see these hands, you see these hearts. Bless these dear people, Father. I believe you're starting something this month in all of our 40th anniversary activities that is going to just set us on fire and set us on course to follow that vision that the bishop has so has laid out so well. If you're here today or if you're watching online and you do not you're not following Jesus Christ for whatever reason and you know it and you want to get in the game, you want to step into the kingdom of God and fight this fight, win this battle, have your sins totally forgiven by the Lamb who died for you, then please pray this prayer with me right now. Say, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, just lift your hand up if that's you. If you're not following him and you want to start, Heavenly Father, I'm sorry for my sins. I thank you for sending your only son to die for me in my place. Now, since he's died for me, I will live for him. I will follow him wherever he goes. I give you my life. I believe Jesus died and was raised from the grave and is now the Lord of the universe and my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, dear saints. Thank you so much.